Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kaylin Dillon of Kaylin Dillon Financial Planning. Uh, Kaylin and I go back a little ways, and we had a very interesting conversation at a recent conference where she said, you know, Ed, you took a different position than me on prenuptials. You know, let's talk about that. And Or maybe I said, let's talk about it. I don't know. But we ended up talking about prenuptials, and we had a really rich conversation. And so, uh, today, Kaylin and I are going to talk through prenuptials, the multiple levels of um, facets, elements, dynamics around it. And um, I trust that this conversation will be edifying for me. Hopefully, Kaylin will grow from this. And more importantly, you, the listeners, will be like, man, I never thought about it that way. That's good. So, Kaylin, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I have a financial planning practice, and I focus primarily on working with couples who have already have prenuptial agreements. These are people who are married and have one. But that being my focus, I end up doing a lot of talking to people about the front end of getting a prenuptial agreement. And that's been a lot of my focus lately. So um, it's my favorite topic and I'm excited to dive in. Now, I don't think too many little girls grow up and say, someday I want to be a financial planner that specializes in prenuptial agreements. So can you take (laughs) us on the journey to how you got to fall in love with prenuptial agreements? Yeah. So, okay, let me take you two steps back, if you don't mind. Wherever. The first step is when I was 15, my dad died. And at the time, he had a divorce agreement with my mom that said that my sister and I were, he was required to name us as the beneficiaries of his life insurance policy. Uh And we weren't. My stepmom was the only beneficiary named. So that was my very first lesson in just learning that no one, no one's paying attention to the agreements that you make. And I remember thinking that was so weird to me. Yeah. That well, if you make this, this is a huge agreement. I mean, shouldn't it be monitored in some way? Where are the adults? <laughs> where are the and adults? Where like, are the adults? <laughs> <laughs> it turns out we are the adults and we are in charge of sticking to our own agreements. And um, as I've been in wealth management and financial planning for 10 years. And my favorite part of that has always been helping people on the front end of getting, whether it's a trust or a will, or, or if it's on the back end, like monitoring, say a divorce agreement. And I think part of the reason I really enjoyed doing that is because I know how valuable it is to make sure that these documents that get drafted are actually used properly mm-hmm. because the entire point of almost all of them is to either reduce the amount of time that your family would have to deal with you or your family would have to deal with legal 
stuff uh-huh. or maybe even go to court. Right. And ideally, hopefully all of these types of agreements, whether it's prenuptial agreement, a trust or a will, hopefully all of these agreements, if you have one, will keep you and or your family completely out of having to go through the court process. That's usually the primary goal. But the truth of the matter is that they don't get monitored that closely if you don't have a professional helping you do that, because we all have busy lives. And that's honestly just the last thing that people are going to tend to is revisiting the terms of an agreement that they've made when they've got plenty of other things on their plate. I'm already just so blown away. Your personal story (laughs) is, thank you for sharing that. I mean, that is so big. And my brain is just lit up right now with questions and curiosity and already I feel helped. Like the first, (laughs) I feel, I feel helped in this because in the couples therapy practice world, certainly couples, there are couples that are going through divorces or have divorce agreements. And oftentimes I'm working with them because they're in conflict about what the divorce agreement implores them to do. And they, they understand that legally that's the requirement. They, they get that intellectually, but emotionally and psychologically, it's basically two big fingers in the air like, oh, fuck no. Yeah. They're still mad they agreed to it or didn't feel fair to begin with or it, you know, they just didn't understand that it turns out fulfilling my end of that agreement is harder than I thought it was going to be or whatever the thing is. And usually all of that at some level, right? Yeah. And so you know the give me and i'm just we're going to make up the story for your family's benefit giving your dad the benefit of the doubt right it was i got too busy and i I didn't adjust it but there can be a number of reasons why people don't adjust those things and this is i think kind of backs into your role as a financial planner and it sounds like what you really pride yourself on is what legal agreements do you have in place in your life And are they set up the way that they're supposed to be set up? Yeah. Because I know from personal experience that there are legal agreements in people's lives that don't then follow through with the financial aspects that are supposed to be followed through. And I've, I've experienced that. Is that fair to say? Like that's where the passion is completely. That's spot on. Yeah. And I'll add the, you know, part two of that story of how did I get here is that when my husband and I got married 13 years ago, he asked me, well, I knew before we got engaged that he would want me to sign a prenuptial agreement. And I, Oh, you, you, you knew that. People, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. I'm being, I'm being a bad therapist. You're fine. You're Shame fine. No, I me. knew in advance. You knew in advance, right? You at somewhere in your dating trajectory, the prenuptial conversation was introduced. Okay, yeah. great. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, you're fine. And, you know, he's, I think he said something like, if or when I do get married, I'll, that's something I would want. Uh-huh. And he said it very firmly. It wasn't like, oh, let's ex- be curious and explore this conversation. You know, it was just like he set a boundary, uh-huh. but he did set it early enough that I was totally unfazed. I have no way of knowing if he had brought it up later maybe when we were already engaged or something, I have no way of knowing how I would have felt, Mm. but I know that when he brought it up, I was like, sure. I don't care. I mean, great. Good to know. Uh Um, It didn't, I thought you want to protect what you're bringing to the marriage in case this doesn't work out. I've seen a kajillion divorces 
whether if, whether it was one of the multiple divorces that my parents had been through or just, I mean, we all see them all the time. Um, why not? Let's, I don't mind signing an agreement. Uh, but when we actually got into the process, it was not that simple. Mm. And it really bothered me that why isn't there a better process for this? thing that like if if on principle we both agree that this makes sense and we're okay with it in theory it shouldn't be that difficult to get to the finish line you know right. but you know we did a bazillion things wrong we were young and uh-huh. we didn't we didn't even talk about money then the way that we do now so um in some ways it was like a crash course in the process but we still got some good stuff out of it. Like one, we did end up with an agreement that we both agreed on, yeah, yeah, which was great, yeah, and that I felt good about and not um, ashamed of. Like I've always been comfortable talking about it, and also right out of the gate, it requires you both to be really transparent. Here's everything I have: debt, assets, right, etc. And that also, I think helped remove some of the veil between our finances at that time. And we started out, I think, pretty comfortably talking about what's mine and what's yours and how are we going to manage this? And it it's taken a lot of different forms uh-huh. over the years, but I do think it helped us in that way. To start out being able to talk about it more easily. So maybe you didn't know how to talk about it, like, and that's where all the mistakes happened. But you were both committed to working through it and getting to an end destination of mutual agreement. Was that stated kind of on the front end? Or, I mean, it seems like it was implied because the prenuptial had been brought up previously. Like that if you're going to be with me and we're going to go to marriage, like we're going to get through and sign a prenuptial. Now, and I, I really appreciate you saying like the logical side of you and him said, well, this should be a slam dunk. But I would say yeah. <laughs> the emotional, relational, meaning making side was like, oh, hell no. Oh, hell yes. Oh, yeah, hell no. This is so Maybe. much harder uh, than you think. Yeah. That doesn't, wait, wait, that doesn't feel good. Yeah. Uh-huh. And because there isn't, you know, we're, we weren't attorneys. We're not attorneys. There isn't a such thing as a legal agreement that just says, what's in your bank account right now is yours. And what's in your bank account is yours, period. You know, it's a long document with all kinds of stuff in it and a lot of implications. And so there was a lot of education that needed to happen for us to even understand what we were signing. Would you say that this is another example of going from financial innocence to financial maturity? And like the only way through is kind of stumbling through like none of us are born with this knowledge. And you have to kind of learn it by going through it. Right. I mean, you could read books about prenuptials, but until you actually negotiate through one. I think as it stands right now, that is an okay example. I'm not sure it, that it would be. I don't want to put myself out as we got married at 21. I don't want to put myself out as the example of financial maturity at 22. But oh. yeah, I think it fits the description that you just gave as something that you don't really grow up knowing it. You kind of have to learn it by going through it. But that is something I'd like to change because there are tons of things that we grow up being exposed to more than this. Yeah. And so we do reach the point of needing to know the stuff and we have 
acquired more knowledge at that point than most people have when it comes to prenuptial agreements. Most people are starting at zero. Well, and I appreciate that. Um, so no, maybe it doesn't take you into complete financial maturity, but that conversation was is part of your overall financial maturity and recognizing. Totally. But I really appreciate what you're highlighting is we teach kids all kinds of different things that help them move through it more efficiently. Is there something that we could be teaching kids like a framework for how to have difficult money conversations that they could then plug and play into a number of different money conversations they're likely to have in their life? Like this is how you have a healthy money conversation. This is what financial boundaries are. This is what money history is. All of that would make the prenuptial conversation so much smoother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you know what's really not healthy for kids is to hear offhand comments out of context, like wait, that happens. uh, Come on, no way. I don't want her to. I don't want her to leave with half or leave with everything (laughs) or phrases like that. That it's like, what is that based on? Kids don't know what to do with that. But that if that's all the information they have to work with, that's what they might think marriage is about is just tying up all your money and that's your only option. Well, there's a lot there. I like it. I know. <laughs> I, I mean, that's why you're on the show. I mean, this is, it's very refreshing to meet other people that have really worked through at a deep level, the implications of all, all these layers. And so, I mean, that is why you're on the show is you're an expert in understanding people and money, right? That That's part of your job. It's been part of your self-discipline is to study and figure this out. And so you highlighted some of those money stories that kids over here out of context kind of thrown off one-liners and that all plays up in the prenuptial. So can you elaborate on that a little bit more? What, what is the bigger context that those things are being thrown out in that kids are picking up on? Well, the bigger context I think is that people think they know what would happen to their money if they got divorced. But the reality is that almost nobody knows their own state's laws and a grand majority of the states have really ambiguous laws that say, basically, if it ends up, if this ends up going, if you were getting divorced and it ends up going to court, your assets or debt would have to be divided in an equitable way. And that is actually a very ambiguous term. That's not like um, most community property states are like, 50-50, period. That's at least clear whether or not you think it's fair. Equitable is so subjective that if that decision actually ends up in court, you don't know. You don't know how that cookie is going to get sliced. So the bigger context of these offhand comments is that people think they understand the implications, the financial implications of getting divorced, but they don't actually have a clue. That feels like that's such a truism around most money scenarios. Yeah. Right? Is whether it's about investing in the stock market or life insurance or estate planning. I mean, you name the money topic, the Yeah, it's true. The financial innocence and misunderstanding and respectfully the simplicity of which it's understood really ends up creating a lot of problems. And I mean it's partly yeah. why we have a job is to help intermediate and explain and walk through right i mean yeah like someone gets a windfall of money and all their friends say like you could go buy 10 properties with this and make a million dollars a year you know they just yeah have no clue 
Um, if I had a dollar for every time somebody was coming to me because a friend said a thing, I would <laughs> yeah. not need my job anymore. <laughs> uh, so I guess what you, you didn't say, but it's also family. A family member told me. Yeah, that too. So All of friends it. or family. So what you're saying is friends and families members may be well-intended, but not particularly great financial planners or advisors. Yeah. Okay. So let's, I want to roll back in this prenuptial conversation that we were having. And because I, you were in a course that I was teaching on attachment styles last year, I think. And mm -hmm. you probably asked me something about prenuptials and I gave my ed response of like, I don't remember how I said it, but basically my position was, I don't think they're a great idea. I think was what came out, yeah. right? Yeah. You said that they create an unhealthy power dynamic. <laughs> I'm glad you... Maybe not your exact words, but the power dynamic was definitely what you were getting at. Okay. And thank you. I mean, I'm humbled that you remember that and honored that you remember that. And maybe... You're not the only therapist that has said basically that exact thing to me. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's part of your training <laughs> no, or... <laughs> it's not. It, well, not explicitly around the topic of prenuptial agreements because therapists don't talk about money issues at all. So it's all inferential. And therapists are trained to think through power dynamics in relationships and and intimacy. And I, I think my own position at that time, and probably still to some degree at this point, right? I'm in knowing you and hearing your story and your position. It's definitely softened me around prenuptials, and ultimately, I think, especially professionally, it leads me to be less reactive and more reflective and curious about why, what's the purpose, what is it going to feel like. Because I had my own kind of rigid idea that it would it would inherently put a block is basically forecasting that we're going to end the relationship, and I I think I, we've talked about this, and so I think you you reframed even thinking of thinking about it as like a role prenuptial as a forecast that the relationship is going to end, right? I mean, we all have ideas, and even my own ideas are not always fully formed, even if they feel like they are at the time that I say them. So, and my own journey with prenuptials, you were talking about well, what if a prenup came up later in my dating? Like I was very close to being engaged or we were engaged and close to wedding. And then he brought up a prenup. Like how would I have felt? Yeah. And I would say, I feel like my memory of where the prenuptial conversation came up, like it's, it's like the bad side of a first kiss, mm. right? Like you, you remember your first kiss and where you were and what it was like and probably how awkward it was unless, you know, somehow something better <laughs> happened for you. High five for you if that's the case. Um, but prenuptial conversations, I would imagine, are probably don't go over well more often than not. And that was my case. Um, we were driving down the road, leaving our apartment complex. We were already engaged, if I've got the timeline right in my head. And so she brings up something about doing a prenuptial. And I was not, I was fresh out of being a firefighter, not even into like, I was, so I was 25, 26, still very immature and far more reactive than I was with you when you asked me the question. So, <laughs> um, but I, 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 you know, I just shut it down very quickly and it felt very threatening to me without, well, there was no curiosity about why she was asking that, what that could mean. And so, God, even as we're talking about it now, I just, I'm noticing like how much energy in my body there is still around that and how vulnerable it felt to be. Mm. And because 
within our context, she was had just finished dental school, was rolling into a career in dentistry, and I was coming out of being a professional firefighter. And I knew there was a very big income disparity from where I was leaving and where she was going. And I wasn't, at that time especially, I had no idea what my income trajectory was going to be. I knew I wanted it to be really good, but there was not anything that said, Ed's going to be making $200,000 a year anytime in the foreseeable future. So that just felt really uncomfortable for me. And it is part of our larger dynamic and why I got into financial therapy. But to say when we have even the idea for people, if they're listening to this is if you're married and you got a prenuptial or you didn't, and there's regret around it, even like this would be a very hard conversation to have, but it's probably one worth doing and having some reparative work. Like I, even in having this conversation with you today, realize we, we have talked about it over the years. It comes up every once in a while and not that there's deep regret or there's more resentment that the conversation didn't go well than like, I wish that I yeah. would have gotten a prenuptial. Sure. But there is that resentment in the way that it was handled. And so being able to repair that relationally is, is just as important. And maybe still resentment about what came up for you when she brought it up to begin with. Yes, that is true. Right. Is she was equally unskilled in having that money conversation and asking for something that she wanted, right? She didn't kind of playing with that financial innocence is a lot of times we don't really know how to ask for what we want financially and to do it in a way that's really effective. So, wow. Oh, Caitlin, this is, there's so much here. I know this is why I'm actually working on a course for couples that want to consider one. Yeah. And you, yeah, you have to start with like, how do you even talk about money in a way that creates safety for both of you? Because you really, you can't even take another step. If you don't have... Until you've worked on that. Sorry, (laughs) go ahead. (laughs) Sorry. I'm so excited that I'm not using my good listening skills right now. I'm like, oh, little boy, I want to... So, so slowing down. So what you're saying is in the course you're developing, what's that first step that you're laying out for folks? And you use the word safety. So tell me more about that. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. So slowing down. So what you're saying is in the course you're developing, what's that first step that you're laying out for folks? And you use the word safety. So tell me more about that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm developing this in a way where I'm not there. Yeah. Because I work with couples um, one-on-one or one-on-two, but it if I'm going to give instructions to somebody without being there for support, I'm trying to make it as digestible as possible. And I think the best way to do that is to have people start with 
I call it the no decisions money conversations. Okay. And you have to agree up front. No decisions are being made. It's all exploratory. And I just give some framework and some instructions to try to help create just a a discussion full of curiosity Mm. and that has nothing to do with a plan or where are we going with this? Because until you know where somebody's coming from with their fears or their desires around money, you aren't going to be able to make any decisions in a way that makes the other feel safe. So the starting point really has to be where are you coming from? And I just know for me personally, I, there's no, there's no relationship that has already explored all of this to the extent that there's nothing left to explore. This just <laughs> doesn't, doesn't exist. exist you know? So, yeah. I mean, everybody <laughs> could benefit from this because money has just gone oh, man. all of eternity without being discussed enough. Well, I, I love the term financial intimacy and the deepening of, of intimacy in general is endless, right? We can always know ourselves and our partner a little bit better. And so yeah. that's, that's my language that I like to use, but that, I think that's what you're highlighting is, and if we think we know ourselves or our partner's financial positions, well, we got to check that too. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Like yeah, as you're totally. as you're talking about this decision free zone, I was I'm laughing. I don't know if you could tell me tell, but I was laughing because I was thinking, well, damn, this would actually be really helpful. I mean, as the expert, just hearing it from somebody else always is better than from within me. And my wife and I are working on a big decision around like a lake house, and we're in very different places, mm. and we're button heads, and just and it's you know it's like we haven't slowed down to fully create that safety about exploring why is this important or not important and what are your yeah. concerns. And it's, so I love that you're saying I'm teaching them this framework of entering a prenuptial conversation without a commitment to any decision about it, but just to explore it. So. In fact, there needs to be a commitment to make no decision. I think. Uh, I'm I'm tracking 100%. Tell me a little bit more about why how you've come to such a strong conviction there. Um, I just uh, naturally am not um, a patient and gentle person. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell. I experience you as warm and caring, but you know that's you know. I think I muster up a ton of it when it comes to working with clients, and uh, but when it comes to conversations with my partner, I just. I don't know. I'm stubborn and I like to make sure we're getting going to like stay on a good path and that what I think is right is going to end up being included in the final plan. And I, I really tend to bulldoze things. Our therapist would definitely agree on that. Okay. So, um, (laughs) I think that I'm sure that rule needed to come from needed to exist for me. It helps contain your first contain a part of who you are, which is very strong, dominant, bulldozing, controlling, right? Whatever words we want to yeah. use, but it's that rule helps you psychologically hold yourself. Totally. Okay. And I am good at following homework assignments. So if that's the homework assignment, I can do it. But 
I kind of need to know that's the goal. The goal is no decision. I love it. And then you could put the weapons down. No one's getting hurt. Nothing bad is going to come out of this. You're literally only going to learn more about each other. And when I started doing that is when I started breaking down assumptions that I'd held for over a decade that were harmful Mm. to our relationship. Yeah. Like uh, my husband comes, grew up with a lot more wealth than I did. Uh And so when he wants to spend more freely on restaurants and like going to concerts and events to me, I just, I don't know where along the way, but very quickly made an assumption that he thought money grew on trees and that this was just like, he just has no concept because he didn't have to go through what I went through. And I don't know, it took over 10 years before our first conversation around that subject actually had enough, I don't know, a high enough level of comfort and safety that he was able to explain to me, no, I, you know, my earliest memories of my parents telling stories about after they adopted me are of them telling stories about how they, they didn't change their lifestyle and they'd still take me out to the restaurants with them. And to me, those are my favorite memories of being a child and growing up are like all these experiences I had with my parents and a great meal or a concert and a great experience, that's where the good stuff is for my husband. And when he could frame it that way, it was like, well, shit, we need to move around some, can I cuss? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely, <laughs> to, yes. We need to move around some priorities here because I can get behind that. That sounds really important. Yeah. And uh, what a beautiful thing to open that up. But I, you know, mm. it took just like a, you know, one of those, it's like the types of conversations you have when you start dating and you aren't making decisions and you're like, Oh, what do you think about this or that? And you can talk to them three in the morning, <laughs> yeah, right. but we don't do that unless we make time or try. Well, and I, I you know, I fast very quickly think that there's enough couples that don't even do that step when they're dating. Yeah. I think even kind of more richly is like there's an invitation to go back into that kind of, and that's maybe what this decision free zone is setting up is let's go back to what it was like when you're dating and you're just trying to get to know each other. And there was, there was low stakes, lower stakes. Um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because when, when decisions feel high stakes, our brains right naturally constrict. Yeah, I mean, it's. I almost imagine like our brains being sucked into a little vacuum and getting tighter. I don't know that it actually happens that way, but it's like you just feel this pressure in your head. I mean, this is why you see this thing, right? The if people yeah. are just listening, yeah. I have my hands on my head, like the squeezing in, because it's just like you just feel that pressure. Yeah, yeah. So you discover this rich story of your your husband saying the stories of my childhood and me being adopted included my parents sense of pride going out to restaurants with me and going to concerts and kind of continue on with life and not lose missing a beat. You know, and of course the family therapist, the multi-generational part of me is like, man, I wonder what the meaning of that is for his parents. Like what's in his parents' story that gives them that sense of pride. Yeah. That's not maybe for the show or for you to share publicly, but that's where my brain goes as a, a family therapist that thinks, through the multi-generational side. So I'm off course, bring me back here. Prenuptials, you're developing this course, decision-free zone. So couples work through that. Mm-hmm. And they, they have this experience of a deeper meaning, appreciation, understanding. What happens next? What happens next is that couples need to form a joint 
future vision together first okay. before talking about a prenuptial agreement, even considering one. Yeah. So the course is going to give a few options. Like literally here's, here are some other ways you can go make your own financial plan. Yeah. And there are some really great tools out there that are really simple. This doesn't have to be complex at all, especially for a young couple, first marriage, just starting out, it probably won't be complex, but the goal is to have some kind of joint plan together for your future. And that should also include literally how are we going to manage um, day-to-day finances, uh-huh. expenses and cash flow, and are we going to have a joint account? Who's going to fund which expenses if you're going to be responsible for different types of expenses? There are a lot of different ways to do it. So I lay out some examples of here are how some couples do it. Mm-hmm. I think the one of the number one things I, I hear from people is that they think the way they do it is unique or it's maybe like a less common way and they think it's normal. It's, it's all, it all has to do with just how (laughs) shrouded money is. And we don't talk about how we do our money with other couples. And so a lot of people just have all these assumptions from TV growing up. The cute, the hodgepodge of experiences in life. Yes, exactly. But did I hear you right? Is that there are some people that are doing a money process that is like almost universal, but they think it's super unique? Yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to say there is a universal way, but yeah. A more commonly practiced way of doing budgeting, yeah, let's yeah. say. And yeah. but they think like, I'm the only one that does it this way. And then you see it on the other side where it's like, they're like doing this really weird, meticulous, idiosyncratic Yes. approach and they're like yeah but that's how everybody does it and you're like uh i've met everybody and that's not how everybody does it yeah i don't say that but yes. yeah well of course you're professional I, i'm like are do you fight about money or is this working for you great <laughs> i couldn't care less what other people are doing because i have seen so many unique arrangements and some of it it can be really meticulous and almost labor intensive but if if you convince me that's working for you, I support it. If it's working for you and it's working for your partner. Right. By all means. It, you know, and this is where I've been studying loosely some of like sexual ethics and sex therapy. Mm-hmm. And they kind of have the same philosophy. It's like, I can see that. What you do with your sexuality is your own business. The only time it becomes problematic is when it's painful or violating to the other person that you're partnered with. Beyond that, yeah. as long as you're not making breaking any major federal laws, and even then there's probably a little bit of like pushing on certain federal laws, but that aside, just enjoy. Like the whole point of sex is pleasure and exploration and curiosity yeah. and yeah. what feels good for each person, timing, pacing, frequency, all of that are variables for the couple to work out. And so I think in that way, money is very much the same way as, yeah, there's a lot of people that do money missionary positions like in sex, right? Like there are some common ways that people do sex, but there's a lot of diversity also. And there's room for all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also enough room for creativity that if however you're doing money doesn't feel good, like it shouldn't just not be a problem. It shouldn't just work. It should feel good. It should feel like yeah. 
intentional. You both chose it and you're both really happy with how you're doing it. What a relief. I, I mean, this is what I wish I would have heard. Like, you know, um, I don't know. Let's go back 20 years ago. This would have been a really nice yeah. message to get. Instead of some of the rigid, this is the way to budget. This is the way to pay off debt. Like, yeah, so problematic. So anyhow, okay. So I see I'm really good at digressing here. Let me reel myself back in. We're in the money course, decision-free zone, creating a, a vision for who you are as a couple. What's next? What's next is education around prenuptial agreements because we're all lacking in it. Okay, sure. And so again, it's just keeping the pressure off of a decision Uh while learning what are the pros and cons and next step after that is what can you do with a prenuptial agreement because it's a legal agreement that falls under contract law and you can contract almost anything so there's a ton of room to really come up with an agreement that is creative and that two individuals have created that works for them. But you have to be educated on the front end first about what is possible. I, I'm imagining another couple I've worked with and thinking about, you know, she came from a very affluent high net worth family. He did not, the family office forced the couple into a prenuptial and he resented every piece of it. Oh, it, Right, because yeah, but that's because the process around setting it up was about protecting her family's money. It wasn't even about her and what she wanted. Yeah, it was about what the family wanted for both of them and how they. And so, what you said out there is that like uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna teach them about the range of different ways. You're not, you can't come up with every scenario because it's evident. But there's probably like ten or fifteen common variables that you can, you know, kind of. I think about like a soundboard, right? You can move the switches up and down and come up with different sounds that ultimately come pleasurable. So is that kind of what you're getting at? It's like, here's the common variables that people will play with to to get it to feel comfortable or good. Uh Yeah. And then what? Then you need to learn about the options for actually getting one. Okay. Because for people who say, okay, I actually already know I want to get one. And maybe even both partners are already on board. Yeah. Another really common thing I hear is now what we literally just call an attorney and um, that feels abrupt. So hopefully there's been enough education on the front end that maybe that feels a little less abrupt, but there are still different types of attorneys that you can work with and different ways that you can go about doing it. And there, it, it is possible to not use an attorney, although I really recommend both parties having their own representation. I, that was just incredibly valuable for me. It was obviously more expensive that way. Yeah. And I didn't have a lot of money, but um, up front, I didn't, I assumed, or I assumed that either I or my family would have to pay for it. In the end, my husband and his family paid my attorney's fees for the prenuptial agreement that ended up being a part of our agreement. But up front, we didn't necessarily know that. And it still, I still thought, well, this is worth it. I want to learn. And I asked a ton of questions and I just, I tried not to worry so much about the cost because I worried more about signing something I didn't understand. So 
I feel really strongly that people should get their own representation. If you are paying for a wedding, you can probably afford an attorney. And in most areas, my clients have been able to find prenuptial agreements for under 2000 for both partners together combined. So I know that's not cheap, but when you're talking about getting married and all the financial implications that there are with that, I think it's completely worth it. And my suggestion is for people to hire a divorce attorney, okay. which is also a little jarring for my clients when I say that. <laughs> I can imagine the whip. Well, yeah. like, you said who hire what? Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you don't have to, there are general family law attorneys that do them or uh, attorneys that do more estate planning. They will do prenuptial agreements. I don't, I'm not knocking any of them, but if you want to be sure that you're, you're getting a prenuptial agreement that's drafted by someone that's had the most exposure to these agreements, it's going to be a divorce attorney, and they're more likely to have seen them challenged in court, which is the whole goal. I mean, you can have different goals for a prenuptial agreement. It doesn't have to be to avoid court time, but most people's agreement is for the purpose of avoiding court time if they are to get a divorce. So why not make sure it's actually going to work when you need it? I mean, the logic makes perfect sense to me. Right. Like who, like, yeah. And I mean, this is another great example. Right? I've never thought through any of these layers. I mean, this is, I mean, just, I mean, I, I'm kind of green with this topic and how much compl- you and everyone else. Yeah. Right. I mean, and I think that's always a great irony is like, and what I have to remind myself is expert in one area does not mean expert in another area. And I mean, we're talking about expert in financial planning and that's a big umbrella. There's lots of little sub expertise. So you yeah. know that you know for people that are listening is there is a strong case for finding the specialist on what topic you're working on. There's a time for a generalist and there's a time for a specialist. And just like in medicine, like there's a time to go to your primary care doctor and there's a time to get to the darn oncologist. And sometimes you have to bypass the general practitioner and go to the oncologist yourself because you just know they don't know. I'm yeah. making a crude analogy, but I think it's a really great example. Yeah. I think maybe the, the principle is stay curious about your financial professionals that are helping you. And most financial professionals giving the benefit of the doubt are trying to be helpful, want to be helpful, but may be misinformed and not realize how misinformed they are. And I would be a great example of that, yeah. right? Around prenuptials and what to do. So the listeners may miss this a little bit, but Kayla, I'm going to say this live for anybody that's listening. You have to get out and give presentations on this. Like I'm thinking specifically to the financial therapy association, because we share that in common. You, you know, that organization, but this is brilliant. You have done tremendous work oh. on working on this. There's no doubt in my mind. And you know, if couples are saying, yeah, man, I might even just go through the program. We have a prenuptial, but I, I want to go back through this and really, really look at it. Because the nice thing is contract law, you can rewrite the contract, yes, right? If, you're, absolutely. if your prenuptial is, you're listening to this, you're like, my prenuptial is not right. It, it yep. hasn't ever felt good. I don't know what to do with it. I'm really you know, pissed still about it, whatever. Get in touch with your partner, Kaylin, 
Is your program live yet or is it coming soon? What's, where is it at? It's coming probably in a, it'll definitely be out by the end of November. Okay. So it'll be out by the time this podcast airs. So if you're listening to this, it's Kaylin Dillon Financial Planning. You can Google her, but her program will be. It's actually under a different, I set up a different company for this. Oh, great. Because I'm not providing financial advice. It's really just education about the prenup process. It's called the Prenup Coach. And the website is prenupcoach.com. And that website is already up. So is there like a wait list? That website's up and you can sign up for updates. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm, I never thought I would say I'm really excited about prenuptials. Um, <laughs> and I'm not saying that prenuptial, and I don't think you're saying this either. Prenuptials are not for every couple, but maybe you are saying that. Let me not be presumptuous. Do you think every couple should have a prenuptial? Well, if you're going to skip those first steps yeah, and you can't have those difficult money conversations, yeah. then no, don't. Like, please don't. Yeah. I mean, that'll be like Tinder to a fire. Right. Um, I do think that everyone could benefit from going through the process of considering one. Because if you start with just learning about where each other are coming from, in terms of what are your fears around money and your hopes around money. Yeah. Everyone can benefit from that. And everyone getting married should work on a joint financial plan together, whether it is very basic or yeah. more complex, like what I do with my clients. Right. So everybody should at least do that. And I would love for everyone to at least be educated enough to intentionally opt out of getting one. That resonates deeply for me. Intentionally opt out. Like, and, and what you're highlighting is so important is you're going to need these skills, whether you decide on a prenup or not, understanding your own money fears, understanding your partner's money fears, as well as your partner's money hopes and your money hopes and being able to articulate those and work with them. Foundational. It's going to apply to every financial decision you make because our financial fears impact everything that we do or don't do in our level of reactivity. So this has been just so tremendous. I can't wait for this one to go live uh, for people to listen. And so if you were saying, man, I got this prenup in place. I've got a lot of money moving pieces. I'm assuming you're taking financial planning clients. Yep, I am. And I think the reason that this is my focus is because I basically created what my hope would be for my own financial planner, which is somebody that can respect the financial boundaries we've already drawn. Because if you have a prenuptial agreement, you've probably got some financial boundaries that you want in place. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you don't need someone helping you oversee a whole picture. And it doesn't mean you don't want to plan together for the future and know you're on the same page. And one of the most important things that I explain to my clients up front is that they, as a couple, are my client. They sign the same agreement mm-hmm. and there are no, I don't keep any secrets. So you both have access to all the same documents, the same financial planning portal. And I have automated my meeting notes. So when they go out after a meeting or a phone call, both spouses get a copy. So even if only one person attended. Right you are both always going to be equally in the loop. That's my aspiration for how I run my practice. 
I love that transparency, no secrecy, any conversation you're having, you're having with your spouse as well, whether you're there or not makes perfect sense to me. And Caitlin, thank you for your work to help couples get clear on who they are, who their partner is and where they're going together. Um, I'm sure your, your clients feel incredibly grateful and like they're in good hands. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your enthusiasm. I'd love to talk to, uh, the Financial Therapy Association, and I'm definitely doing other talks too. So I've got one next week and I'm happy to talk about prenups all day long. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you, Kayla. I appreciate it. Until next time. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed. Ed.